0: Hey, are you wanting to learn more about your Enneagram type or maybe even discover your Enneagram type? Are you looking for how to take the Enneagram test? Well, check out Crosspoint Ministries' newly designed Enneagram testing experience. Crosspoint has been using the Enneagram with Christian pastors and leaders for more than 15 years, and they've made taking the WEPS test a simple and optimized experience. You'll get your test results immediately, no emails needed. Your results are displayed in a clean, easy-to-read, and downloadable format. Plus, you can create your own account where you can keep your test results, download your profile, and track your personal growth all in one place. To take the test, go to crosspointministry.com slash and you'll get 20% off your first test. Just use the code ENIACast at checkout. Again, go to crosspointministry.com slash ENIACast and start your journey today.
1: Love Thy Neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely.
2: (laughs) Discipleship and Missions. Missions!
1: For For Modern modern Times. I'm someone who teases and jokes and makes off-color humor and and ribs my friends, and they'll say something, and all of a sudden, I, I will show them my hurt or especially in conflict, and they'll be like, why are you reacting like this? You're the person who has thick skin and doesn't care and and is blunt and all this. And I think gentleness is something that we need and we don't ever ask for.
2: This is a show about self-discovery.
1: About understanding ourselves.
2: About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are.
0: This is about how we relate to God
2: and everyone else
0: from Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky.
2: Welcome. Welcome. Welcome.
1: to the IndieCast.
0: Hey, welcome to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today, we're going to be talking about type sevens and conflict. Uh, I feel like first, we need to acknowledge, Lindsay, you are not here in the studio with me. Where are you?
3: I'm in Texas, visiting some family.
0: Okay. Where in Texas are you? Dallas. All right. Okay. Mm
3: -hmm. It's 106 degrees.
0: Oh, gosh. That sounds horrible. (laughs) Okay, so let's do a quick refresher. Type 7, when they're healthy, these folks are curious, they are playful, uh, really enthusiastic, they're lighthearted, they radiate optimism.
3: But when they're unhealthy, they can be irresponsible, scattered, afraid of commitment, and they avoid pain at all costs, and they can become narcissistic.
0: And, uh, you know, this whole series, we are talking about conflict and conflict resolution. And the deal is that conflict can come from anything. Like, we live in a world of differences, and that's going to lead to conflict. Uh, According to James chapter 4, a lot of our conflict comes from our warring desires. And that begs the question, what is the core desire of the seven? And the seven has a core desire to be happy. What does that mean, Lindsay? What is the desire to be happy?
3: Well, I was just thinking, so the desire of the seven is to not have conflict. So the like, cause conflict isn't usually happy. So what brings conflict for a seven is people who bring conflict.
0: <laughs> like right. Very right. circular.
3: So they want things to stay from that neutral place. You know, everything's just normal and fine to the happiest of happy places, but they do not want their emotional meter to ever have to drop anywhere into the negative space. And it can mm-hmm. feel almost like a disease. Like people who have that negativity are contagious. You know, and if you catch it, you might never get rid of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- they have like this desire to like I don't know. Just they want to experience everything. Like enjoy life. Like drink it in deep. You know, have a great time. Uh, this sense of just enthusiasm and vibrancy in life. Mm-hmm. So for seven, conflict is naturally going to arise when things become too painful or too serious.
3: Right. And this might be an inner conflict for themselves where they're trying to escape, find something else to do, find somewhere else to be, you know, but it can also become interpersonal because they might be tempted in an unhealthy space to say like, well, just get over it or, you know, we don't need to dwell on it or let's go eat ice cream. Let's go eat our feelings, you know, so it can... When things are painful or serious, it really can manifest internally or interpersonally.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I think, too, about like uh, we did that episode a few episodes back about like the fighting words, how to pick a fight yes. with each type, you know. And for the seven, this this idea of like you're boring, you're mm-hmm. not fun, you're a killjoy. Uh, this idea that the seven is, contr- is actively contributing to... An unhappy life Mm -hmm. is like that's going to be the thing that's going to set them off. Right. So the question is, like, when conflict does happen, because it's going to happen, what do we do with that? Well, we want to remember Jesus's view of conflict that we talked about back in episode 65. And in that episode, we talked about the fact that healthy conflict is good. Uh, healthy conflict is transformative, and healthy conflict is an opportunity to love. So with that in mind, let's take a look at two things. First, how does type 7 tend to approach conflict? And second, how does the 7 resolve conflict? So, Lindsay, start us off. How does a 7 approach conflict?
3: Well, when we're looking at how these seven approaches conflict, we want to look at their social style. So we've talked about this for each type. Rizzo and Hudson have a social style triad, and the seven is part of the assertive triad along with types three and eight. So these are going to be people who really meet life head on. They are moving forward. They will not withdraw from life or they're not going to stay in place. They want to take charge and they want to make things happen.
0: Yeah, and like this is going to show up a lot in, you know, the seven's desire to just have a lot of experiences, wanting to face life head on by doing all the things. So I always talk about like, if there are three choices of ice cream, uh, what are they going to pick? They're going to pick all three things. Like, I'm going for it. I'm going to lean into that. Um, But, you know, when it comes to conflict for a seven, this assertive approach can actually end up taking on an avoidance pattern. Mm -hmm. And that shows up as like being too busy or trying to experience everything that's out there at the expense of actually facing the conflict. Mm -hmm. So like the seven's natural tendency to avoid pain, all of a sudden like this becomes a problem because their assertiveness comes out in like I'm going to use all my energy to do everything I can to not deal with this problem, but to just like be happy and be lighthearted, even when it's completely inappropriate for the life, you know, and circumstances that I'm in.
3: Right. And as we, most of us have experienced, because sevens are not the only ones who avoid their problems, but when you avoid conflict, it's going to fester and it's going to grow and it's just going to become bigger and bigger most of the time. On the flip side, the gift of the seven is when they are healthy and they kind of push themselves to address conflict. They bring their assertiveness to the problem instead of avoiding the problem. And they use their skills of optimism and joy, you know, and lightheartedness. They can bring levity and creative solutions to the problem at hand, which can be really good for the types that might have a more negative view and they get bogged down in the troubles the seven can really come and bring levity and find solutions and move forward in a way that makes everyone at peace in the situation
0: yeah like as a type four like i love hanging out with sevens because they do they get me like out of the sort of eeyore part of my personality and into like oh yeah like there's still a lot of life to be enjoyed Okay, so that is some about how a seven approaches conflict, but we have this other question, how does this type resolve conflict? So, in addition to the social style triad, each type is also part of what Rizzo and Hudson call a conflict resolution style triad. And the seven's conflict resolution style is positive outlook. So they share this with types two and nine. And folks in this triad, they want to look at the rosy side of things. They want to resolve conflict in an optimistic and a cheerful manner. Uh, so their gift is that sevens are actually you know, really imaginative, um, and they're really creative people. So they can take this imagination, this creativity, And they can bring that into these conflicts to find creative solutions. So uh, when they're healthy, they're not getting bogged down with fatalistic thinking or just simply giving up, but they're bringing this creative energy to figure out things.
3: Right. But the challenge for all of these types in a different way, the two, the nine, and the seven, is that they can sometimes minimize the seriousness of the problem at hand. So we see that with nines, you know, that they don't want to have conflict with people because they don't want to break that relationship, and it takes a lot of energy. And With the twos, they're afraid you won't love them if they have a conflict with you. You know, in the sevens, they have that fear of the negativity and fear of safety and being safe within relationships and life. And so, you know, all three of those types are going to find a way to say, no, no, it's no big deal. Let's just go do something else. Let's think about something else. Let's look on the bright side. You know, things are not so bad.
0: It's like grandma died and they're like, yeah, but she's with Jesus. And it's like, well, you should probably cry about that a little bit as well. Like, and not just jump to to the rosy part.
3: Right. Or even if they're hurt, like if they've been wounded, the conflict is actually coming from them, you know, that they were wronged. You know, those types can really be tempted to be like, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just move on. I'll just narcotize with... Netflix or ice cream or drugs or whatever it is that can help them move past it instead of seeing that it it's valuable for them to stand up for themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So any tips if somebody's going to go into conflict with a seven?
3: Well, I would say be gentle. You know, sevens, they can be assertive and aggressive. And so people might not think they need to be gentle, but pain and criticism can be really hard for the sevens. So be really friendly and easy in your approach to a serious discussion.
0: Yeah. Sevens are actually the most sensitive to pain of all of the types. And so when you're coming in and you're criticizing, like assume they're feeling that at about twice the level of everybody else.
3: Mm-hmm. Even if they're not showing it. That's yeah. That's key too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think also like you can encourage them to get in touch with their their hard emotions, their dark emotions, the the more difficult things. But you you got to be patient with them. Um, you know, sitting in all that serious stuff. It's it's hard for the seven, and sometimes it's it's you know it's gonna look like them being fidgety or them like trying to jump around to different topics. Um, and and so there's just a sense of like y- you if you're gonna lean into these hard things. You got to give the seven some opportunity to kind of work it out at their pace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that is a seven's preferred way to resolve conflict. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that they can grow in resolving conflict. So, gospel reminder if a seven's desire is to be happy, God responds to them with the healing message that you will be taken care of. Sevens live with the burden that. Uh, that they have to generate their own happiness, Mm -hmm. that their desires, their longings, their wants, that the rest of the world is not going to show up and provide those needs for them Mm -hmm. or respond or be attuned to them. So they've gotta be these generators that go out and make all of this good stuff happen. And God just says to them, I know the desires of your heart and I'm gonna respond to them and I'm gonna take care of you. You don't have to generate everything yourself.
3: Right. And I think that's hard because, you know, as middle-aged people, we know that life is hard. And there are lots of hard things going on in the world that we are powerless to control. But I just think of um, the psalmist and how he says in several places, you know, to the Lord, you are my delight. You know, that my delight is found in you and in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And that's the joy that sevens really need. And what they bring to the world is that fullness of joy that comes from God, you know, in Christ through the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So every type struggles with a deadly sin. And in order to avoid falling into their deadly sin of gluttony, the seven is going to want to exercise their virtue of sobriety. What does that look like in terms of Uh, and its relationship to conflict.
3: Mm -hmm. When I think of sobriety for someone who's kind of Peter Pan, you know, they're going from one adventure to the next and, you know, life is a game and I I won't grow up. I think of just being still, you know, I think of sobriety. I think being still and being present to yourself, like what are the hard emotions going on with you? What, what are those feelings? fears because they are in that head triad the fear triad and and then also being present and still with others you know that you can be a witness to their pain even if it's uncomfortable just being able to be still and ask yourself you know what is motivating me what is pushing me what am i avoiding and those kind of questions can bring that sobriety you know, into the conflict.
0: Yeah, and I think it's part of that too is like the ability to just gather the facts, you know, so the, the seven can sometimes them sort of bounce mentally around so much that there can be a failure to really get uh, like an objective perspective. And so I think that sobriety invites the seven to slow down enough to go like, what are the facts of this situation? And then let those facts inform a, a healthy, reasonable response. Yeah. Okay, so we are recommending a breath prayer for each of the types. What is our breath prayer for type seven?
3: Well, this one is a little bit of a longer breath prayer, so adapt it to your own needs. But we recommend taking a deep breath in, and as you do, you know, saying, God fills me with joy. You know, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And then as you breathe out, so I don't have to make my own.
0: Mm. That's good. I I need that prayer myself. Okay, so that is our teaching about conflict for Type 7, but we don't want to talk about this alone. We would like to bring in somebody to talk with us. So we have a special guest with us today to talk more about conflict in Type 7. Nathan Clarkson. Nathan is an award-winning actor, author, and filmmaker. He has appeared on the NBC show Community and the movie The Purge. His own original movies have streamed on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Pure and more. His most recent book, Finding God in Hollywood, comes out next year. Nathan is also a co-host on the podcast, The Overthinkers, a show about faith, art, philosophy, and the big questions of life. Nathan lives with his wife, Kelia, and his golden retriever, Darcy, and he is a seven on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Nathan.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be
0: here. Yeah. So glad to talk with you. We are excited to uh, to have this conversation. I guess let's, let's start here. When did you first encounter the Enneagram? What Insights did you gain from it?
1: Yeah, you know, the Enneagram is something that has been floating around for a long time. And I grew up a big fan and student of psychology and especially uh, personality psychology. And, you know, my parents uh, from a very young age, we had this grid of uh, Myers Briggs, actually. So as long as I can remember, we were looking at our own individual personality types. And Enneagram kind of entered the scene in my life. Oh, man, I, maybe it's 2018. I was on set for a movie I was filming. And in the off time, all the actors would be in our uh, in the trailer, and we'd be talking, as they said, on the next shot. And it turns out that this group of actors were, were Enneagram fanatics. And... Um, they all started trying to type me. And so I was like, well, maybe I should go look for this, you know, look into this myself. And so long story short, a bunch of actors told me what I was, and I went to see how right or wrong they were. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole at that point, um, finding out that I was a a, a seven with a wing eight. And uh, it's just kind of that's where it started, um, I don't know, three or four years ago. And ever since, it's just been, uh, one of the grids with which I understand myself and other people and it's really been helpful for me along the way
0: mm, that's great. That's great. Well listen stay with us because when we come back We're gonna continue our conversation about conflict and conflict resolution with Nathan Clarkson. We'll be right back
2: Hey listeners it's Anna media editor Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. I'm Karen Arrow, and I am the director for Maya Collection. Maya Collection serves the refugee community here in Louisville by teaching and utilizing the crafting skills of refugee artisans to make handmade jewelry, crafts, and textiles. The money made from selling the products goes back to the artisans for them to support themselves and their families. What I always stress is we do this for God's glory and we share Jesus. We don't just help them make money and teach them skills. We also share Jesus with them. Karen told me why she enjoys having interns around. I love having fun and interns are fun. They're young, they're energetic, they have great ideas. I love listening to them. Um, So I learn from them, they learn from me. They have great hearts. They care about people. And sometimes what we do is very hard and exhausting. And I think having a good laugh at the end of the day is very important. (laughs) We have lots of laughs. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: Hey, welcome back to the Inecast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we are continuing our conversation with Nathan Clarkson. Uh, okay, so Nathan, so this episode it is part of our series on conflict. How do you personally feel when conflict arises? Are you somebody that tends to fight? Do you tend to avoid? Do you tend to comply?
1: This is a great question. And
0: it's,
1: (laughs) you know, I almost have to split myself up into
0: different categories,
1: depending on how old I was, what part of life I was in. You know, I'm looking back now at my young self um, and seeing completely different reactions to conflict than I would maybe uh, act out now. And hopefully that's as a result of me maturing. I'd like to believe that. And I definitely hope it is. Um, But that's a good question. Uh, You know, as a as a seven, I'd say that um i did one of two things and and they're both in there either fight or avoid altogether so i I have been told and have seen myself um act in ways that were very confrontational i wanted to just go up and say the truth you know and and you hear this i'm not trying to hurt you i'm just saying the truth and so i didn't mind just being confrontational and saying it and getting it out there or if it felt um at different times in my life if it felt um superfluous or, or boring even, uh, I found that I just kind of avoided it and would let friendships kind of fall to the side. Uh, maybe I got tired of it. So, you know, there's a happy medium in between these things. I'm still trying to, trying to strike that in my old age, in my 30s. Um, but yeah, so I would definitely say that it, me and my personality type, and I see this described and I see it along uh, a consistent pattern among other sevens in my, lives, in my life. But I find that confrontation was something I didn't shy away from. And I could see, and there was a good part of that because I would say the thing that needed to be said in friendships, I would just be upfront about it. But there was also the flip side of that where it's too blunt and I could be accused of being mean or uncaring. Um, And then the other side of that is I would just completely avoid it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm wondering too even about like um, how much a role like your eight wing could be playing in some of your approach to it as well, you know, because eights like... Eights have that they kind of get energized at moments, you know, when there's confrontation and they tend to have that reputation of being really straightforward, you know, and uh, because I'm thinking about like seven wing sixes that I know and they they tend to go a little more in the avoidance direction, uh, you know, and so, yeah, I'm just I'm just yeah, I'm just thinking a lot about I'm wondering how much that eight wing is playing a role in some of that.
1: I think the you know, as I as I look and have thought about it a lot, I think the eight wing definitely comes in especially in conflict interestingly enough and how it mixes with my seven is really interesting but conflict is not something i fear it's something i in enjoy is the wrong word um i almost feel tasked to do it if i'm being completely honest it's something that i feel you know because you mentioned and when you were kind of going over that um that the very often the sevens feel that they have to bring about whatever they want in the world, that it, it's incumbent upon them to act in the world. And so I, I feel that that part of the seven mixed with the eight, which is, I feel incumbent to say something or do something, or, um, especially when relationships and conflict is be upfront. And so those, those two, uh, the, The two types mixing together can kind of create this, well, I'm going to have to say this to this person. I'm going to have to be up front. I'm going to have to confront this. And so it's been an interesting kind of combination of the types and how they come out uh, within the context of, of conflict.
0: Yeah,
3: Nathan, can you tell us a story where you had a conflict and you saw yourself acting out of the unhealthy side of your type?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, man, how, <laughs> I have a few I could pick from. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, recently, you know, a, a, a friend came to me and um, shared some, uh, some things that they're struggling with in terms of addiction and, um, and really difficult things. And my first reaction, interestingly enough, was to, eh, let's not worry about that. I don't care. Let's just be friends. Let's have fun. Let's hang out. Of course, I wanted to help them, I care about them, Um, but I I didn't really want to get um, involved. I wanted to keep the friendship and fun, and and my hope was that out of the friendship, they would find, you know, whatever it might be, but, you know, let's not worry about that. And then it got to a point um, where they did want me to talk about it, and so all of a sudden, that kind of eight-wing with, I'm going to have to fix this mix with the seven came in, and all of a sudden, I found myself being overly blunt. So, I went from this kind of, let's not worry about it, to all of a sudden I felt pushed to this place where I was like, almost, you know, I hesitate to say mean, but just overly blunt. And and to be honest, I I think a lot of things I was saying were true, but it had a detrimental effect on the relationship and I hurt someone I loved. And so it was that confrontational um, aspect of me that I realized is there. It mixed with the avoidant, that I realized there has to have been a healthier way to do this, and and luckily, you know, it's such a good friendship that there was grace given on both sides. But eventually, I came to a place, you know, through prayer time, and and that okay, how can I both be honest and truthful, and not avoidant, um, and then t- onto the other side while still. Uh, giving love and grace and understanding all at once. And so it, it's definitely a cocktail of things you have to mix with that, but it was definitely something I saw that first I was avoidant and then I was just overly blunt and that neither of those things were actually of benefit or at least of strong benefit to the person who really needed me. And so what ultimately what ended up helping was me being honest while saying but we're still friends and let's have fun so it's kind of this mix of things of i'm going to be truthful to you but i still love you we're going to have fun and be friends and so i found that to be the most beneficial and healing thing and that's what ultimately i think um, helped the relationship and helped the person in their own particular struggles
0: Yeah, that is that is so good. Well, uh, talk to us a little bit about how your faith in Jesus impacts how you relate to other people in conflict.
1: Well, it's you know it's interesting. Sometimes we think of our religious lives and our beliefs as kind of this abstract thing, right? But really, where I find that my faith impacts me most with how I engage with conflict is the person of Jesus, because all through scripture and the gospels, we get to see this very visceral and detailed account of Jesus dealing with conflict. And I feel like no matter what type you are, there's something that, um, one, that he probably exhibits positively, how you might exhibit positively, uh, positive behavior in conflict. You know, he can be both, Jesus was both um, upfront and blunt and honest, you know, in, in some instances, maybe with the Pharisees or even with his disciples. And then there are other times you see that he uses real gentleness and he uses real, um, uh, long suffering in how he communicates with people. And so when I look to how I ought to, uh, engage with conflict, I really try to understand and know and be familiar with and let it affect me, the personhood of Christ, because I feel like every, um, every good aspect of every different type is going to be wrapped up in his, in his personhood. And so that really is the thing that affects me most is that when I am in conflict with someone, be it a family member or a friend, or even just at work, um, what I can do is I can go back to scripture and say how, and you know, this is a little cheesy, but I'm, you know, I grew up in, in, uh, youth group, but it it really is. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus act in this, um, this scenario in the, in this context, and luckily enough, in the Gospels we can find the way that Jesus engaged with conflict right there, and so that's really how my faith does it. It's through the personhood of Christ, it's through the vision and through the story of Him that we've been given.
0: Mm, that's lovely. Yeah, we talk a lot about uh, in our ministry and in our podcast. We talk a lot about walking in both the life and the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's what you're getting at. Is like. Okay, how do I follow Jesus and and emulate him, you know, in the midst of these, you know, nuanced, complicated interactions with other people? Yes, absolutely.
3: That's so good. So that's, you know, the number one thing is how Jesus impacts you in conflict. But how does knowing the Enneagram also come alongside to help you in conflict?
1: when you are young, or just human, you expect everyone to act the way you do, right? Um, and the Enneagram says, it, you know, it, it gives a certain amount of types and says, listen, people are totally different from you. There's a lot of people who interact with the world and reality and conflict and struggles and pain, totally different from you. And it's not wrong that they do that. And it's also not wrong that you interact with these things in the way that you do. But the Enneagram, just the concept of people being inherently different than you in uh, as far as their personality, just that, that concept gives me this understanding that whenever I'm engaging with someone, be it my wife or a friend or family member, or again, uh, someone at work, I, I it, it puts me on this investigation rather than just reacting to or expecting them act like me or, or disapproving of what they do. Uh, what it can do is it puts me on this investigation of, okay, how are they made? Who are they? What Maybe what type are they? And how will this affect how they hear what I'm saying? How will this affect how they see what's going on? And so that can help me behave differently and connect differently and hopefully connect better because I have this understanding of who they are and how they might need to receive um, connection and uh and resolve things. So, just the Enneagram concept that people are different and work differently, just the concept of that, to, to be honest, is the thing that really helps me understand um, and engage with conflict in a more healthy way. Mm-hmm. I love that.
0: Okay, so in the midst of conflict, what do you wish, like, what's one thing that you wish everybody else could know about either you or your type?
1: Oh, man. This is a a great question. And, you know, you said it earlier in the teaching segment when you were talking about be gentle with us. Um, this This really hits home for me because I'm not someone who looks like a gentle person. I am upfront. I am driven. I go and do things. I say things bluntly or I just don't care. And, you know, I brush things off my back. Nothing really bothers me. And I've had these moments in my life where people close to me will say something, even in jest, like joking. And I'm I'm someone who teases and jokes and makes off-color humor and and ribs my friends and they'll say something and all of a sudden I, I will show them my hurt or especially in conflict and they'll be like why are you reacting like this you're the person who has thick skin and doesn't care and and is blunt and all this and I think you know for whatever reason um, it, it, that gentleness is something that we need and we don't ever ask for. And that, that was – when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's something I've been dealing with my entire life is no one necessarily believes they need to be gentle with me. And if they only knew and, – and, and you said also that we feel pain very viscerally. And if they only knew the pain that I was feeling, um, they would be more gentle, but I don't always – part of you know whatever it is part about my personalities i don't want to show my pain there's, there's a vulnerability there but i always was jealous of the people who did show their pain because they got more gentleness they got more um handling with kindness and care and empathy and so i and so i always felt frustrated i was stuck in this place of where i don't want to show my vulnerabilities and fears and brokenness and sensitivities um because I, that it's too uncomfortable and, and i don't want those to affect me but at the same time what i really long for is gentleness and love and empathy um and so it's, I didn't know how to ask for it and I didn't even want to show it, but I want people to give that to me regardless. So I would say if you have a seven, especially a seven wing eight in your life, um, even if you don't see them asking for it, offer them gentleness. It is something that has I mean, unmeasured amount of effect on my life. When someone offers me gentleness, even though I'm not necessarily known as a gentle person, it really can reorient me towards health and connection with said person. And so gentleness is a really big thing that I wish, that I, wish I knew how to ask for better, but really does have a large effect on me.
3: That's so helpful to know. Okay, so last question. The virtue of your type is sobriety. How do you think sobriety helps your type approach conflict in a healthier way?
1: Mm, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know if I've really considered that before. And, you know, it, it's interesting considering the, the virtue and the vice of the seven and one is indulgence and one is sobriety, kind of these two different sides of the same coin. And that, that is obviously something that has been a, consi- a constant throughout my life. Um, but I'm thinking when I'm healthier, I am able in, in a sober mind, um, you know, sobriety as a concept is learning the amount of something, the, the, the healthy amount of something. It's learning how to have self control over yourself and not living the extremes and living this tension. And I find that sobriety, if we can grasp this, this, you know, our, our natural strength, if we can harness and live into it, is learning learning to find those balances right we talked about earlier about how do either go to these extremes of avoidance or just over bluntness and i think sobriety can help us find the right amount of one okay so not caring about something not taking it on but also the right amount of being honest without being mean or rude and it's finding that that tension in the middle and i think sobriety will help us know the amount of of uh of whatever it might be that we're trying to employ in this conflict. And so I think sobriety can be a really, um, a great strength if the sevens can utilize it to their advantage and know exactly how much of something to employ and how much to hold back. And I think that is something that I'm definitely still learning, but I encourage sevens to definitely take on.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Listen in because when we come back, we will be playing Pick Your Poison with Nathan Clarkson. We're going to put him in a tough spot because we're going to let him have some fun playing a game. But there's a trick. We're also going to make him pick between two terrible things, so (laughs) stay with us. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find mapping your Enneagram story, plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping your Enneagram story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the cast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Pick Your Poison. Okay, our game today is called Pick Your Poison, so here is how it works. Uh, Nathan, each round I'm going to give you two options, both options are going to be difficult or just plain awful. Uh, You have to decide which option you will go for in real life, so it's sort of like would you rather. Okay. But, before you answer, Lindsay and I are each going to guess which option we think you're going to choose. Uh, We are allowed to choose the same answer. If one of us matches your answer, that person gets a point. We're going to play three rounds. Are you both ready? I'm, I'm going to write down my answers, so there's no cheating here. Oh, <laughs> no, I, pre- I, I appreciate that. And that's also good. Lindsay tends to cheat, and so uh, she's a deeply immoral person. No. So,
1: it's her type, I'm sure.
0: Okay, so round one, never travel further than 10 miles from your home again or eat the last meal you had for every meal for the rest of your life. Lindsay, what do you think Nathan will choose?
3: Eat the last meal, every meal, for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, or, okay, so you're picking uh, the meal so that he will be able to travel. Yes. I am doing the same. I think the idea of being locked into a 10-mile radius Uh, I, I'm sure that he enjoys podcasting. I don't, I don't know that he enjoys it enough to never travel again. Uh, so I think, I think that he will be just fine. I'm also, Lindsay, what is your guess? What do you think his last meal was?
3: Oh, well, we know he just came from something else. So maybe like Beef jerky and chips.
0: <laughs> okay. I don't know. So so he went into a gas station and bought Maybe. the worst possible choices available <laughs> as a Hey, as beef a jerky being. is protein. Hey, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope he likes it. It's going to eat a lot of it. Uh, okay, Nathan, what poison did you choose?
1: This one was actually a tough one because, one, I am a homebody. Even though I live in New York City, I... I really am a homebody and I like staying in. I love my house, I love my home, so I considered that one. But my whole life is predicated on going to beautiful, wonderful places and getting to be on set in really amazing things. I think it would really depress me to only stay in one place forever. And listen, this is gonna be tough because I am a foodie. I live in New York, I travel around the world and love experiencing wonderful food. But at the end of the day, I gotta go with, I'll just eat the same meal forever and ever. And uh, as long as I can travel. So you guys, you guys got it right. And the meal,
0: the meal you'll be eating, what, what would it be? The meal I will
1: be eating is um, a breakfast sandwich that me and my wife have perfected over the course of uh, the pandemic lockdowns in New York City. Wow. We got really good cooking. And so I'm in pretty good hands. Yeah. It's an amazing breakfast sandwich. We call it the um, Clarkson, which is a typical McClarkson. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay with that. It's yeah. cheesy, it's cakey, bacon.
0: So yeah, I'm all about it.
3: Well, that's better than beef, Excellent. jerky, and chips.
0: That's true. For yes.
3: Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm next time I'm in New York City, I'm gonna go restaurant to restaurant saying I, I need the McClarkson and we'll <laughs> we'll see what see what they can offer. So, Lindsay, you got a point and I got a point. Okay, round two. Take five shots of espresso every evening before bed or Ride a really intense roller coaster one hundred times in a row at turbo speed.
3: <laughs> those are both so terrible. <laughs> you know, I, what the, I would
0: live through both of those. Yeah. Things. Here's hard. the deal: though. It, I feel like both of these actually just describe the brain of a seven. Yeah. Uh, they're both <laughs> metaphors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So, is it take five shots of espresso every evening before bed, or ride a really intense roller coaster one hundred times in a row at turbo speed? Lindsay? I'm gonna go with roller
3: coaster. Because you have to do it a hundred times in a row, but then you're done. But the five shots of espresso is every evening before bed for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. 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 The 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 roller coaster at least is like a has a start and a finish to it.
3: Yeah. But you might have a heart attack either way for either one.
0: Um okay, I'm actually gonna go take five shots of espresso every evening before bed uh it could lead to some really creative dreams you know um um so okay nathan what's your poison oh man this is a rough one because you're right i thought about the the roller coaster
1: it could be done but i'm worried i wouldn't survive <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i will say for whatever reason i've been blessed my you know my family we just we just loads of caffeine. It doesn't affect me at all. I can have three cups of coffee at night and it doesn't do anything. So, you know, I think I could probably even enjoy that just having a big, strong cup of coffee every night. <laughs> so I got to go with the five <laughs> shots of espresso. Oh,
0: that's good. right. You chose yes. well, my friend. <laughs> so, uh, two points to me. So good it's two versus one. Uh, okay, round three lose all the pictures, all the pictures you've ever taken or erase the last 10 years from your memory
1: oh man wow
0: mm. okay man the stakes the stakes the stakes on the stakes on this one feel extremely mm-hmm. high mm-hmm. uh okay so lose think all the pictures about the last 10 years now
1: is this something <laughs> i want to think about this <laughs> yeah if
0: you're like you're like yeah you it's know they weren't that great. they weren't that, yeah. they weren't that great yeah yeah i might
3: be okay yeah with losing just lose my thirties altogether.
0: I mean, <laughs> come on, like, like uh two and a half of them are the pandemic. Yeah. You know, so that's one, Ooh. one fourth of the memories, you know, or whatever. Toss them out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So Lindsay lose all the pictures he's ever taken or erase the last 10 years from his memory. What do you think?
3: I, I'm going to go with the pictures because that really does happen. Like somebody steals your laptop or your lose your phone. But, Chances are his family members also have pictures, and they can just, you know, restore at least some of the memories back to yeah. him. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also going to go with pictures, but uh, for slightly different reasons. Uh, sevens are known for rewriting memories <laughs> to be happier than they actually were, so I, I think uh, I think that there's a, a win here. The pictures are actually sadly anchoring him to reality. <laughs> And uh, that era uh, getting rid of the evidence allows him to, you know, relive memories as he wishes. And so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. So Nathan, what's your poison? Well, it actually was tough because I
1: document things a lot and, and not even for social media. I'm terrible at social media posting enough. I just love scrolling back through pictures of places I've been and people I've hung out with. but at the end of the day, um, I've just made, too many good friends and had too many wonderful experiences, even really difficult and and terrible experiences, but they've made me who I am and I learned and garner so much wisdom from them. So I can't get rid of the 10 years. So I have to go with my pictures being erased. But I will say, while it's a terrible thing, if all my pictures got erased at the same time, my seven, especially mixed with my eight says, all right, well, there's something new and wonderful to go discover out there. Now I can build a whole new library. Mm. So I think I got to go with uh, the pictures being deleted.
0: All Very right, nice. so, Lindsay, we're wrapping up. You got two points, and I got three. It's true. <laughs> so
3: that just tells me that you, my friend, are the champion of poison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that, feels, that feels accurate. That feels accurate. I, I feel that in my fourness. <laughs> All right, and now it's time for five final questions.
3: All right, Nathan, number one, who are two people you currently admire, but no Bible characters are allowed?
1: Okay, well, I did think about this and, you know, part of me always wants to come up with like really interesting, obscure people that no one knows, um, because then I'll look cool. Yeah, that's what Jesse would do. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be honest um, and say one of them, one of the most influential people in my life. Uh, who I I really, really respect uh, as a writer, uh, the author of the Narnia series, who we all love, C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis's writing has been influential to me since I was a child reading Narnia. It gave me a grasp of the spiritual world in a beautiful way where church was so boring to me, especially as someone who wanted something beautiful and creative and alive, you know, old pews and and droning sermons. Um, It was hard for me to connect with faith until I read Narnia. And it was beautiful, and Faith was putting this beautiful story in a context, and so I have to thank C.S. Lewis. And then, oh, two people I really admire? Oh, man. Um, It's hard for me to pick people I admire, but I guess I'm going to go personal this time. and I'm going to go with my mom. Um, My mom did, similarly to to C.S. Lewis, Um, she gave me a vision of God. That was beautiful and wonderful. And uh, it was a story that invited me into. And she also raising a seven, raising out of the box kids. You know, we we wrote a a book together called Different, which is about um, me being uh, a, a kid with mental illness and learning disabilities and her being a mom raising that kid. And I have to, I'm just so thankful that I had the mom I did who saw me as a unique and beautiful creation where so many places and culture in the world, um, I felt, uh, separated from or too dumb or too much. And she saw the, the beauty of the individual creation in me. And I feel like that's what Enneagram is all about. So we're all created differently and uniquely, and it's beautiful. Well, I agree with
3: both of your top picks because I admire your mom, Sally Clarkson. And I have read many of her books, especially the one you co wrote together that you mentioned different, but also, I don't know the title. Maybe, Nathan, you can tell us, but she has one about setting the table.
1: Yes, the life giving table. The life giving home. Yeah. Yes,
3: that's one of my favorites about really engaging your family time around the dinner table, especially. And in our family, we, because of your mom, I bought candlesticks and candle holders and, you know, table decor um, for my young kids so that we could kind of create that special feeling at the dinner table.
1: Awesome.
0: All right, question number two. How do you like to waste time?
1: Well, I'm going to be one of those pretentious guys who just totally ignores the question and says, I don't waste time at all. And I don't think there is such a thing as a guilty pleasure. I think... (laughs)
0: Life is full of
1: pleasures, (laughs) but I'll answer the question you're really asking. And in my spare time, the way I quote wasted, although I don't believe it to be waste, is uh, I'm a video gamer. One, I love video games. I think it's such a beautiful way to tell stories and to create community. I think it's um, it invites the the player into a story to have agency in it. So I love playing video games. I think they're so artistic and beautiful, and it's such a cool storytelling medium. Now, Um, I also love reading mysteries you know a lot of times i tell people i'm reading philosophy and theology which i am but uh if there is a quote guilty pleasure i love reading murder mysteries um and i will tell you more about that in an upcoming question
3: all right number three what is on your nightstand right now
1: okay what is on my nightstand right now let me pull it okay well um for the you know this year i've been trying to for the past few years actually really get down and read some of the things I've needed to uh read so you know this year I've been reading Plato I've been reading Kafka Confucius Carl Jung and more and all of a sudden you know it got to summer and I said I need a palate cleanser I need something fun and light my brain and my body are tired and so as I alluded to I love reading mysteries and there's a mystery series that I found during the pandemic um called uh what's the series called um Gemma monroe mysteries and i'm on the third one right now called lost lake and it's a little de- it's a it's a little town with a detective and it starts off in the first book she's pregnant and a, a single mom who's trying to solve a murder and worry about life and family and things and it, they're so endearing but incredibly insightful about humanity and people and right now i am reading the third one in the series called lost lake so i highly encourage you. If you enjoy um, a fun escapist mysteries, while at the same time can provide really insightful um, uh, insights into people and human behavior and who we are, I highly encourage the the Jim and Monroe series.
0: That's good. That's good. Uh, Okay, uh, question number four, what is an important lesson that you have learned from failing?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I'm getting off of a few years of a lot of, um, I'd say, artistic failures, You know, quote failures, You know, things that I would try and it wouldn't work out or whatever it might be. And one of the things I've, two of the things I've learned is one is inspecting my motives of why I'm creating something, why I'm doing something in the first place, why I'm setting out and trying something. Um, Cause I think a lot of times uh, my motives uh, can, when, when I explore them, I find things that can help me act better in the world and create better meaning am i doing this so people will like me am i doing this so i'll look cool am i doing this um so i can just make money or, or am i doing this to help people am i doing this to make something beautiful and so one of the things i'm failing this made me question is why did i try this in the first place and so questioning my motives has been a good thing and then also i'd say through failing i've also had to learn to ask where am I putting my identity? You know, where am I feeling significant? One of the things I did during the the pandemic is I kind of um, formulated my own type of personality. Um, uh, a test or 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 grid, however you might say, and, and there's all these in what I call my, it's the the motivating factors. Every one of us has a different motivating factor why we do the things we do. And for my my personal um, motivating factor is significance. I want to feel that I that I am meaningful in the world. I want to feel that what I do um, is important. And one of the things I've discovered through failure is where am I putting my significance? Am I am, am I doing this? Am I sacrificing? um, a lot of time and effort into something just so I can feel significant because I'm trying to, to, um, attach my identity to this, this thing. And how can I attach my identity to God rather than these things that might work out or might not. And so it really makes me question where my identity lies and where I'm finding my significance. And so that's been something I've definitely learned through the art of failure.
0: Yeah. We learned so many important things from failure. That's good. That's good.
1: All right.
3: Last question. What would you like to hear God say to you when you die?
1: Oh wow, getting existential—that this is great. I, you know, I one of the the things I've been studying more in Scripture of late has been the Kingdom of God. Uh, this is something that Jesus mentions all the time, right? He speaks about it all the time, and I feel like, funnily enough, in, in a lot of popular Christian culture or Christian culture in a whole, there's not a whole lot of understanding. Around this concept of what is the kingdom of God, and you know, I've come to through my study, underst- hopefully, understand more and more that it is the kingdom of God that He is building. It's beautiful. It's redemptive. It's the um, it's the world and the kingdom that He has us be a part of. And I and I see so many people kind of giving their allegiance to lesser kingdoms, and there's a so much more beautiful one that's full of redemption and goodness and wholeness that we can be a part of making right now. And so, what I'd hope to hear. God say when I die, is that I was someone who took seriously and um, gave my life to building the kingdom of God, which is ultimately the eternal. And that that's what I want to do with my life, which is give my life to building the, the beautiful, redemptive, whole kingdom of God. And uh, understanding that more has really, um, more what the kingdom of God is, what that concept is, has really helped me uh, orient my life, even in the past few years, towards even more eternal resonant things. So that's what I would hope to hear, That is that he was a man who gave his life, um, spent his life building the kingdom of God.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they thank you so much for all your time today and uh, all of your, your thoughtful, wise, compassionate, empathetic responses. Uh, it has really been good talking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful being here. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Nathan Clarkson, to check out more of what Nathan is up to, including his movies and his podcast. You can find him online at NathanClarkson.me. Again, that is NathanClarkson.me. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com.
3: This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Rachel Zabo is our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX.
3: I'm Lindsay Lewis.
0: And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.